Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. We are here with an extra episode for you this week, and please be warned, sirens going off in the distance. This episode (laughs) contains spoilers, spoilers through the end of season seven of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In this episode, we sit down to have a more in-depth conversation with Natalie Muskin Press, who you met here in our buffering verse when she did a segment in our episode for Tabula Rasa. Yes, uh, we will be, as you probably have guessed, taking a deeper look at Willow's arc with her use of magic in this season. There is a ton to be said, and there's no way for us to say all of it, even in the span of one complete episode. But since season six digs into some really massive themes, we want to do our best to create some space for more conversation than we're able to have within the episodic discussions themselves. A little information for you on Natalie. She is a licensed clinical addictions counselor who's been working in higher education for the last decade. And before that, she spent three years working in her community, providing intensive outpatient treatment to adults and adolescents and running a residential recovery home for women. It's also really important for us to note that Natalie works within a harm reduction framework with a focus on prevention, intervention, and education. Our hope is to bring you a few of these very focused, thematic episodes this season, and we want to thank our patrons who have made it possible for us to produce large conversations in many ways over the past year. Thank you so much for your support of this space. In conjunction with this episode, and each of our larger thematic episodes this season, we will also be encouraging our listeners to donate, if they are able, to an organization doing work in this field. Natalie has recommended the organization Project Neighbors and has asked our listenership to specifically send funds toward the Solar Conversion Project for their housing. Project Neighbors is an Indiana-based organization that works to strengthen the community by addressing issues of race, class, and poverty, striving to create healthy families and neighborhoods where diversity of all kinds is welcomed and cherished. You can learn more about their work and donate at projectneighbors.org. Yes, and we are doing a pretty awesome giveaway of Buffy gifts, many of which have been provided by a listener, Jenna. Thank you. One of these uh, gifts that Jenna has and is going to send out is an authenticated signed Buffy the Vampire Slayer cast photo. It rules. Uh, If you're able to donate, head on over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash Project Neighbors and let us know that you contributed. Filling out that form will enter you into the giveaway and there'll be more information on our socials, of course. Um, Or you can opt out of the giveaway if you just want to let us know that you donated. We love to kind of, you know, find out what our buffering community is able to do together. Uh, So go on over there. Let us know if you're able to donate. Again, projectneighbors.org to send that donation uh, specifically to the solar project. You can see that on the little drop down on the site. Uh, And then if you want to be entered to win something very fun, you can fill out that form at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash projectneighbors. And one more reminder that this episode's conversation will include spoilers through the end of Buffy Season 7. It will also contain conversations on themes of substance use, the prison industrial complex, sex work, and mental health. 
All right, let us do this thing. Hello, and welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are usually discussing the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one episode at a time, spoiler-free, but not today. Not today! You're right, Jenny. We are not talking about one episode, and this is surely not spoiler-free. We're talking about any damn episode we want, As we're ready to talk about them and full of spoilers, and we're here with Natalie, and you might remember Natalie from a few episodes ago uh, when we talked a little bit about Willow's arc. Uh, We were safe in that space from spoilers. We are not anymore. Hello, Natalie. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Listen, literally anytime. Anytime. Stop. I'm going to just start crashing your Zooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still live? Yeah. It is, just, it is just one link that Jenny and I use every time. So if we give it to you once, you could just see if we're in there. Just randomly. Nope. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> uh, so we are, we've talked a little bit um, moving into season six about some big themes that we're going to be attempting to unpack here. And, Today's episode is us digging into to Willow and Willow's arc with uh, the misuse of magic and what magic is used to parallel and how that's done well or maybe not so well. As we go into big topics like this, right, it's not on anyone's singular shoulders to do and say all the things. So I just want to acknowledge that, that as much as, uh, you know, this conversation is so important, you can't say everything and and do everything. And, um, you know, we're going to do our best to talk about things that um, have come up in, in our prep for this episode. But, you know, this isn't the last episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, God willing. So <laughs> we're happy to continue the conversation. Um, and before we, like, before we also start talking about um, Willow specifically and Buffy specifically, for those of us, um, you know, myself included, who aren't as familiar, and I know this is a changing landscape, we're going to date ourselves in 10 years, we're going to come back and say, oh no, what, what have we done here? But for now, words like misuse versus abuse or referring to somebody as an addict versus like, I, I would love to just get a, a, a bird's eye view of some of the terminology you might be using today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll generally say someone who may or may not be misusing substances, right? Because like, I, I'm reluctant one to diagnose in any way, shape or form, you know, so like, and, and misuse does not have anything to do even with a potential diagnosis. You'll hear like, you know, physical dependence, right? Which could be something just related to how your body is reacting to to a substance versus like um, someone saying like, oh, you're an alcoholic, right? Which has a completely different, you know, framework, but it's also something that's out there. And it's even something, you know, like I said, I've been working in this field for a while and I catch myself because when I came out, it was like, you have to say you're an alcoholic. You have to say you're an addict. And then if someone like at all came into it and was like, no, we were like, oh, that's your denial talking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and never once given that opportunity to be like, 
no, that's you rejecting the fact that we're trying to tell you in order to be taken seriously at trying to help yourself, you have to accept this label right off the, like right off the bat, right? Here we are. So, you know, I know some stuff will still occasionally slip out because that's the words that have been in our head for so long and been in, you know, our mouths for so long. But I tend to just go with if someone may or may not be misusing substance or Mm -hmm. if they are misusing substances, um, that, that tends to be when I'm trying to talk about what I consider like use that maybe isn't healthy for them in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, so. it's, it just pings in my brain how much we all so desperately cling to binaries, you know, yes. like even yeah. outside of this particular mm-hmm. conversation, like you either are this thing or you are not this thing. And then yeah. there's just like no flexibility in that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I think one thing is, is because, Uh, substance misuse, substance issues, you know, however you want to say it, have been like relegated to this like little, you know, dark seedy corner of the like healthcare, even not even the healthcare industry. People were only really offered this like one type of treatment and it was really rooted in like self-help stuff. And so what would happen is that would work for some people. And so then those people were like, it worked for me. And so then they became, you know, which good for them, right? Like what, like for me, I'm like, what helps, right? If it helps you, perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they populated a lot of the more substance abuse treatment situations. And so then you have like housing that you have to be in AA and NA and you have to do the steps, right? Like there's no ability to, to be in recovery that doesn't, you know, or there'll be people who they went to jail and that's what got them, you know, sober and that's what put them on the path. So they, they, they feel like, no, maybe you need to go to jail mm. to get that experience. And because you were either recovered through this path or you weren't, there was nobody to really push back and say like, why aren't there more paths? Right. You know, mm-hmm. this like really rigid, this is the way. And we have all these people who can tell you it's the way because it worked for them, even though we were definitely not helping people at any level that would be considered successful for a lot of other health areas. Mm-hmm. We want to give the people time to get to where they need to be, but a lot of the treatment options we have are so rigid. And so this way or no way, you're giving people an ultimatum, right? Like, And it, it could get really bad and frustrating and horrible and mm-hmm. all of those things. Well, before we turn the corner into the land of Sunnydale, uh, Mm -hmm. is there anything else that you want to say up at the top, uh, framing-wise, or or do you think that we are set up to dive into all things Willow Rosenberg? (laughs) No, I just think there's going to be times when I feel like it it speaks really well, and there's going to be times where I'm going to be frustrated the storytelling choices that they made, I think are different than like whether or not those individual moments they choose to show for her are true for someone or, mm. or not. Like it's, it's not about, this isn't how it looks. It's more like, why, why did they choose to, to show it this way? And, mm. and was that, is that helpful, mm. you know, or did that reinforce like this very, did they do it in a way that reinforces stigma, even if they were honoring how it felt for some people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that that's really, you know, that's why we're having the conversation is to look at this story with you, because Jenny and I can only do so much in looking at this. And, you know, our our experience here is is notably limited. So I suppose we should journey forth uh, and start start really with 
Willow and Willow's journey. And I say that because we're going to look at um, outside of just Willow and the way that this show tells Willow's story. We're going to look at Rack. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about Amy and certainly Tara, the Scoobies, Giles. You know, we'll, we'll hit some of these things, but uh, we can start with Willow. Natalie, <laughs> as the anointed expert uh, among us in broad strokes, if, if we want to start kind of like Mm-hmm. backed way out what's your observation or what are your observations about what's working here and what's not so I think what works here right is the underlying reasons between why Willow makes some of the choices she makes so I think mm-hmm. like we all met Willow right drinking out of the water fountain in her lovely outfit and like, she <laughs> From was like you know and like <laughs> that looking back her outfits weren't that bad no <laughs> No, Cordelia was it got just, actually uh, worse. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. They really have. Like, yeah, what, are, what is Willow's wardrobe a metaphor for? I actually joke, but I know we are going to talk about that. Yes. No, I had a, I had a, it was like, bah, like popped into my head when I'm like, man, that's a lot of Willow stomach. And then yeah. I was like, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, she's, she's always been insecure and, but wanting to help and just having like this earnestness about her. Um, and I think like, even like, you know, and, and we, when she got with Oz, right. We all love Oz, but like, there was also this like, oh, good for Will- like Willow. There's always been this like little like sweetness around Willow that we want her to have good things because we almost kind of, you know, like we bought into this idea that like, she's sweet and she's, she's kind and she's too nice for this world. And, you know, let's make Willow cry if we want to make people feel bad. <laughs> and then she gets to be kind of like powerful and she gets to be her own person and she gets to grow and like she gets to you know like explore her identity and do all of these cool things that we were like super excited for willow but like that's still like all that other stuff all those insecurities and things are are still right there and i think that you know they loved to explore xander's insecurities at the beginning for like obvious reasons uh some that have become even more obvious now like (laughs) in life um (laughs) But, like, Willow, I think we always just assume, like, her insecurity was, like, almost this, like, weird little quirky personality trait of the, you know, as as opposed to something that was deeply rooted within her. Mm-hmm. And I think there are these moments when she speaks, and it's, I think that's what has always frustrated me about this is because there are these, like, really deep moments when she's sitting on the bed and she's talking to Buffy and she's like, why wouldn't she want to be this you know and you realize that willow's narrative about herself was not nearly as warm and loving as our narrative about willow was right Mm -hmm. like willow was you know meek and she didn't stand up for herself and people walked all over her and like she just desperately wants to be able to like i think give as good as she you know give you know like punch back or fight back but she's not in her nature so she doesn't know how and so when she does like it almost like she goes too far because she's like she's not really that's not in her nature so like that's why I think some of the like the dialogue in the magic shop when her and Buffy are fighting feels so weird because it's like that's not really what Willow sounds like Mm -hmm. that's not really like how Willow would talk but it's almost like she's just trying so hard to be the powerful tough girl that she thinks the magic should make her be Mm -hmm. and so I think that Mm. that's always really painful when I watch it because I'm like I just want her to be Sweet Willow, but she obviously kind of hates Sweet Willow. Yeah, and the show's been playing with that for a while. I mean, you know, we we talked all the time, like Jenny and I, just behind the scenes on like Willow may have the most jingles by the end of this 
show because we start with, like you're saying, you know, mm-hmm. water fountain, math loving Willow. And then we have vampire Willow, which I think is the first time that the show plays with this idea of her mm-hmm. being like, wow, look what I could be. Like, that's a possibility. That's another thing that another mm-hmm. option or what have you. Uh, and then, you know, we haven't fully gotten to dark Willow to use mm-hmm. the show's terminology yet in our journey. But um, you know, we know that's coming and that that is exactly what you're describing, right? Uh, this. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wonder, too, because as you were saying that, I'm like, is this this whole conversation is going to be like, let's look at Willow as the character, as like a real person Willow and like what she's going through. But then also let's take a step back into the writer's room and think about what story they were telling. And so I do wonder if there's any irresponsibility or accuracy or both uh, in this person is misusing in this instance, magic as the substance and their appearance is changing and the way they talk is changing and the way they look is changing. <sighs> yeah. Like, and like, let's talk about this, you know, canon- like getting darker, right? Like, Oh, yeah. now look at how her, her darker hair is and look at how dark her lips are. And like, Ooh, she, you could tell she's bad because physically we are making her dark. Right. Like, and that in and of yeah. itself has those, like the like racial undertones of that are alarming. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I think it's this thing like doppelganger Willow, right? That's the fun, that's the fun version of what happens, right? Willow gets to be bad, but she's just like sassy and like, you know, she wears a bustier that's made out of leather. <laughs> and it's kind of like when Buffy and Spike in the one where they Willow host magic. Something blue. Something yeah, blue. Yeah, something blue. When Willow's, you know, again, messes with magic and <laughs> you know, like just takes everything over. That was fun. That was fun, Buffy Spike kissing Mm -hmm. and then we get like what happens when real buffy spike kissing happens and ooh, ooh, it's not like (laughs) it's not going we've already lost a house so yeah right like they're just knocking (laughs) you know like they're just taking out city blocks and (laughs) bad i wonder if there's something from a narrative story creation perspective and this may be a tick in the less responsible column for what we're talking about today. But I wonder if a big part of leaning into these uh, changes in appearance for Willow as her behavior is changing uh, is in part to make the show's job easier when Willow swings back around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we talk about Angel and Angelus like they're two different people. And really, the main difference is eyeliner. Uh, and like more velvet, I guess. But with Willow, the same kind of vibe, like she takes this very severe wardrobe uh, alternate path. And then when she comes back to herself, she uh, comes back to looking more like she looked before this detour. Yeah. I loved your parallel between uh, Willow's midriff equals Angelus's eyeliner, like in this story. But I think that the reason, too, that not that there's not complicated things to talk about with Angel and Angelus and what have you, but Mm -hmm. like Angel doesn't know how to button his shirt and Angelus doesn't know how to button his shirt. You know, they both they both struggle with buttoning shirts. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, with when we're talking about um, the use of drugs and the and the stereotypes and the stigmas that are placed on that and also communities who are who who have been literally set up 
to um, fall into the, the misuse of these substances. I'm thinking specifically, too, of, like, sex workers and drugs. And so, like, when you're having a character go down a path of the misuse of magic, and one of the ways that you're showing that is by sh having her show more of her stomach, there's just, like, probably way too much for us to even unpack. But it does seem mm. more irresponsible than what we see with Angelus. <sighs> It starts off, I think, making a lot of sense for Willow's character. And then for, for Smashed and Wrecked, I think it's like, war, what if we just did Requiem for a Dream for a couple episodes? And like, oh God. and call it, call it a day, right? Like, and, and it's, and it's one of those things, right? Where it, it's all true, but it didn't feel true to Willow's story in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that like, if you know someone who struggled with substances or if you know how the family dynamics and how people who love them, like how they handle it. Like, I think there's nothing about the story that doesn't necessarily ring true in some way, shape or form. For me, it was just like, it's really disconcerting because I feel like they chose to ignore the deeper emotions and like go like, let's do this trope and let's do this trope. Like, how do we make sure people know she's addicted to magic? Let's have her cry and ask for help. Let's have her go to a, you know, like let's have her go sell her body. Like that'll really make, like, it's like, no, mm -hmm. we know Willow is in trouble because she loves Tara and she violated Tara's mind. Mm -hmm. Like, do we need any more proof than right. that, that Willow is struggling with, ma and, and which I think again, it's like, what is what is what does it have to look like for people to take it seriously and then by the time they take it seriously it's usually coded in all of these like ways that make people then really push back and reject mm -hmm. you know i mean even just like they're all talking about it, and they're like who's using too much magic but never once are they like yeah like she wiped out all of our brains for like an entire episode dude dude <laughs> you know i i think it's re reflective of our own inability as human beings to recognize things in the world yeah. unless they are painted in like these stereotyped ways and and right like to your point it's not that there aren't it's not that there isn't truth to the experience it's not that some people are not having these experiences it's just that if we only see it this reminds me and it, i don't know if this parallel makes any sense but it reminds me of some of the conversation around like uh, understanding what it is to be trans and like if the narrative is only I had a kid and they were playing with the the toys of this gender and that's how I knew well sure that happens but if that's the only story that we're seeing then there's all these other experiences of being trans that are well but you played with the right toys hard quotes as you all I'm sure know yeah. you know and 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 so then what and so if we're not taught to recognize that wiping your girlfriend's memory of a fight is reason enough to have a conversation, then what are we doing? Yeah. Well, and I think it's also this really big thing because like, there's so much exploitation that happens when someone is, is using a substance and they're getting like shamed for it and they're getting like shoved out, right? And a lot of times when people are put into a situation that may resemble racks, right? Like they usually don't have as many supports as they need, right? Like it's something mm -hmm. that, that these things become, you know, like Willow was taken advantage of in that situation, right? Like it was like, she didn't know where she was going. She didn't know what he was going to do to her. He didn't explain himself. Yeah. He just like took. And I think 
there's a lot of like harm and exploitation that can occur. It's not all things that like people like are e like eagerly seeking out for themselves or mm -hmm. even like mean to do or mean to have happen. Um, and I think that sometimes it could be like this, like, yeah, did you see, this is what drugs do to you. They turn you into someone who will like sell their body. And like, mm -hmm. besides like the judgment of sex workers that's interlaced with that, there's also this like thing that ignores that as because we push away people who misuse substances, especially if it's a drug and it's not like alcohol, we're actually pushing them out of the support systems that they, they need. Mm -hmm. uh, so like one of the there's so many problematic things about rack since we're since we're talking about rack and we're talking yeah. about wrecked wrecked and racked the the an issue that really like just pops out at me is that the the major reason that um people might turn like it's like sex work is a valid job that's a valid job and a valid way to get income but it's also something that people turn to when there is no other way for them to get the income they need and yeah. so i think it's just really problematic to have that just thrown in here like willow is not a character and has not been a character that has ever had mm -hmm. financial need that we have seen or heard about and so this is very much throwing this like sex work trope into a bin as though anyone who is misusing a substance also is has a proclivity toward sex work it's like you don't have to demonize sex work and you don't have to de but but throwing them all in a bin together is is very complicated it's it's always like i think a lot of bad choices that like they show people making when they're using substances it's always implied that it's because they're using the substance and it and never is like it's stripped of all context of mm. uh, of like other things like you know, like exploitation or like lack of social support and social stigma that prevents people from coming to someone and saying, I'm struggling with X or I'm struggling or no real treatment resources for people. Um, and so I think it creates this like, it's very reefer madness. Like you're going to smoke this weed and then you're going to like shoot someone like 25 right. minutes later, like, which, right. you know. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's what bothers me too, because like it, it goes, she goes from like, having a problem, a clear problem that has lost her, her girlfriend and has caused her to, you know, who she loves and has caused her to violate her friends. And like, I, I just think like they could have just like used, done a little bit less with it and still gotten the message across. Right. And I think that we'll probably have some similar conversations when we talk about um, seeing red and we talk about those stories that are told, like, why, why do we choose to tell the stories that we tell the way mm. that we tell mm. them i don't know if this is something uh that like you experience from this arc and also like in film and television at large i kind of like i'm wondering if it's like when i see somebody get onto stage at, in a tv show or a movie and the microphone without fail feeds back no matter <laughs> what's going on every single time i feel like what we see in wrecked with willow meeting rack returning to rack being reckless, lying, uh, and endangering Dawn pretty significantly. That to me represents, right, what we would maybe commonly think of as the trope of like reaching rock bottom. And yes. I don't know if, if that is an acceptable, if that's like a term that is you, it probably it's a term that's avoided. And I don't think so because I think it's really helpful for how people kind of 
tell have a narrative for their own use and like as we know like for people like having our own narrative and understanding our own narrative is like super important for healing and understanding Mm. and so like rock bottom is a thing right like in that people will have a moment where they they feel like their motivation shifts or their desire to change shifts or you know like this is no longer work right Um, a clarity moment like whatever you want to call it um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't like rock bottom when it's advice given to the loved ones of people who may be misusing substances as something mm. they just need to experience. Um, there's been a lot of reckoning about what enabling is in, in the substance uh, use like treatment community. Cause before it was like, don't enable them, don't enable them, don't enable them. And like literally enabling meant like, don't treat them with care a lot of times for mm. lots of people, right? Like, I mean, I was told like, sometimes like you, you just need to tell them to call the cops because their their son's going to be dead and they might better to be in jail than to be dead, right? Which is like, <laughs> yeah, like better to not be dead though. There's lots of other ways we can get to that point, right? Yeah. Like this idea that like, if you know that your kid's going to go out and steal because they're so desperate for money, for drugs, like, give them 20 bucks, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're like condoning their habit, but like, there's this idea that like, the only way it's still really like, and there are people in recovery who probably heard me say that like, ah, because (laughs) like everyone's like journey is different. And I'm I'm aware of that. And there are plenty of people who sobriety really is the option for them is the only option is the best option. And Mm -hmm. I'm not taking anything away from that, that Mm -hmm finding rock bottom or that like going to jail or something wasn't someone's true journey. It's just, it doesn't have to be everyone's journey. And, um, I think that's the piece. So for me, yeah, this idea of you have to hit rock bottom, you know, this idea of they don't want your help. You can't help them. There's nothing you could do. And like, there are some truths to that. Like I always used to tell like parents when they were trying to like support their kids, you know, they'd go to these like elaborate things. Like I'm going to search all of their bags and I'm going to do, you know, like, and I would be like, I'm going to just explain something to you, which is that they're always going to, if they want to use they're they're going to want to use more than you want to stop them. Mm -hmm. And I know you can't imagine that right now because you want to keep Mm. your kids safe with every like ounce of your being, but like you don't, if they are really in a place where that is the thing that they feel like they need to do, they're going to do something you're not going to be able to imagine. And so like, I would tell them to be less about like, do less with this, like, I'm going to search your bags and and do more about offering to, to let them like come, like sit in your bed and just like, you know, be in that room, you know, with you until, and they don't have to talk, right. Or like giving them that space to come to you or, if they say like, I need to do X, like, because otherwise I'm going to do Y, like, let's go do, you know, like letting them go do X, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking, like, not X, the drug per se, but like, <laughs> right. that I should clarify that. Um, you know, like, and, and, but because we have this sobriety and you see it with this Willow story, right? Like you have to stop using magic, like cold Turkey, but it's like, let's not act like magic hasn't been useful. And she, how can she stop using magic? Her best friend is a vampire slayer. She's in a magic shop. It's like, don't drink beer. But by the way, we're all going to hang out at the local sports bar all the time. Right, like, right. And you just need to be really strong about it. Like it is magic is literally embedded in everything that they do. And like in, and in the, this analogy, like beer is really helpful in fighting evil. Yes, right. <laughs> like, you know, maybe where it's medieval times and the water is bad. Yeah. We need the beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and not 
not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this is the way this conversation is going to go. We're just yeah, going to bounce around because, you know, there's there's been conversation that we've had off air about this. And, and I would love to bring it in now of the, the larger arc of Willow and her relationship to magic. Right. And the fact that Willow has been using magic almost since the start of the show. Yes, she was. She had less powers in the beginning, but she magic has been there. And since we can spoil things, magic is going to be there. And so, you know, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that because Willow, and and this has to do with you know we can talk about access and all these things, but Willow's arc is very much that she is misusing magic, um, and then she is rehabilitated. Her relationship to magic is rehabilitated. And so I wonder what your take on that is in a general sense. So like, I really like the beginning part of the Willow story, right? And then I like where it goes, right? With this, like the magic is inside of you. Like this isn't something that you can make go away like that. So you have to learn how to, you know, because I think like magic is the behavior for the emotion, right? And so like, it's, it's like you're always going to have this option to use magic. You can never like make magic go away. So you have to learn how to cope with your emotions in a way so that, you know, in this case, magic isn't, isn't harmful. Right. And so for her, it's literally like, you need to stop trying to control the world when things go badly for you. Like literally (laughs) like, Oh my God. And it's just like this point where like, if they understood anything about why she was doing what she was doing, like, of course, when she felt everyone's pain, she was going to be like, ha ha, let's all be dead. That'll be better. Yeah. No one should feel like this because that is literally Willow's like whole thing is like, I'm so sick of pain. I'm so sick of feeling out of control. I can now do something about it. Let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I really hate that they moved it from like, I don't know if it's metaphor or analogy, whichever one works better to like legit direct comparison of addiction to magic Mm -hmm. because, because she should be able to use magic. Demons are attacking. Let her use magic. Right. Right. And I think it's just, partially the show did never really defines magic like I feel like compared to most fantasy like things Buffy doesn't do a lot of like deep lore into what magic is and there's always every once in a while it has a cost you know sometimes they bring a demon back sometimes they don't like sometimes it's sparklies and it's fun <laughs> and sometimes it's like these deep latin incantations like I, it just there's no consistency to the magic so I think that's also where why it makes it hard it's just whatever they need it to be in any given moment yeah. for the story i know natalie that we're gonna get to uh, tara and the scoobies i mean not yeah. that tara isn't a scooby but tara has a very specific relationship different to yeah um but before before we sort of turn that page and yeah. go there i want to read a small segment of a of a listener email um because i think it, it relates a bit to some of these like metaphor analogy things that we've been touching on This listener wrote to us and said, the show uses magic as a vehicle to show how drugs can destroy not only the addict, but the addict's entire world. I remember saying to my sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous, why can't you just hate me? It would be so much easier for you to just hate me when I relapsed after seven months. But he didn't hate me. He kept loving me until I learned to love myself again. While his compassion didn't save the world, in capitals, to symbolize, of course, Willow and and the world of her journey, uh, he did save my world. And so this is really in relation to Xander being the one who, like, his love is essentially what saves Willow and the world. 
Yeah, it's true, right? Like, I, I think that listener email really hits on the head. Like, right, there's so much underlying truth to this with Willow um, and that this love and support is what helps people get back to a place where they feel safe. And like when you, when, and you know, we create stigma around substance use and we create stigma around the behaviors that people do when they use substances so that it just adds. So if someone's already struggling with feeling unlovable or feeling um, like, you know, bad, then to, they don't love themselves or they're not loving themselves in this moment and other people are still loving them, it could be really hard. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that, again, like I like the Xander saves the world with just being Willow's support no matter what she did, right? Mm. Like that seeing Willow as Willow versus seeing Willow as her actions in these moments when she's in extreme pain. Um, and and I think that one of the, the reasons I dislike the like addicted to magic, like it's the magic that makes her do this. Like it really denies Willow the fact that she's just lost Tara. And like, she made a, she made an active choice. Like let her make that choice and like, yeah. let her talk about that, you know? And like, and I think like, you know, by the end of it, it's about like, okay, Willow's now made a lot of choices that are going to make it hard for her to come back because she's going to feel bad about them because she is a good person. And so we need to make sure she doesn't feel bad about them. We need to mm. give her those support so that our judgment and our punishment isn't this, this obstacle for her. Mm. Um, and so mm. I think that's like what Xander gets and that's what Giles gets. Um, and it's what I wish everyone who struggled with some sort of behavior that can make them feel unlovable or that can make like create challenges in their life and in the lives of their loved ones that like people can see past the behavior to find, you know, the compassion. And I think that's, that's what this listener is talking about with their relationship um, with their sponsor versus, you know, someone who was just going to say, yeah, you did crappy things and you need to feel bad about them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think it goes without saying in this conversation. And, and if you listen to the segment that we had uh, Natalie on in a previous episode, we talked about this a bit, but it's like, you know, Willow, right, by the end of the series and, and sort of a massive turning point is the loss of Tara. But also before the start of the season, she's lost her best friend. She's brought her best friend back to life. She's discovered that she yanked her out of heaven. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a lot going on. And so I say that I think that's we all know that. But I just yeah. want to sort of establish it in, in this no. conversation as well. And it's it's obvious how much it's been weighing on Willow because she keeps bringing it up when she's talking to Buffy. Like, I ruined it for you because Willow brought you back with magic, right? Like, she knows she's hurting people and she doesn't, but she doesn't know what else to do. They, nobody was talking to each other. No one was offering that support because everyone else was dealing with their stuff, you know, and no one wanted to, like, stop and do that, you know, time. And Tara tried, but, you know, one person can't, do it all, you know. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. 
Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm curious, and I'm sure Kristen is curious too, what is your read on the way we see Tara kind of navigate Willow's treatment of Tara, Tara's reaction to that treatment, their separation? Uh, their reunion. Yeah, I think she does as good a job as anyone can do, right? Like she she struggles sometimes to say what she's really upset about, but who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think she sets boundaries and she tries. Tara does what she can to support someone she loves without but also realizing that she can't she can't say like, okay, and that includes like violating my boundaries, right? Like I can support you, but if you're going to like literally do magic on me, if I'm going to be hanging around, I'm going to have to leave, right? Because that is traumatizing me in a way that's not healthy for me. And, and I think that's that's the hard piece because it's like to, to help someone, to support someone doesn't mean like you literally have to give them the exact relationship with you that they want, but it doesn't mean you don't, you could do it in other ways, right? You know, and she's there for she's there for Dawn as much as anyone is there for Dawn. Maybe way more than anybody (laughs) else is there for Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, as of where we are right now, Giles has just fucked off to England. Yes. Uh, after after you know noting that he had serious concerns uh, about the amount and kinds of of magic that Will is using. I don't know. Can you talk about how you see Giles's relationship 
to Willow and the ways in which she is misusing magic and the way the ways in which he is responding and and trying to intervene yeah so i mean it's clear right like giles of all of them is the has like a deeper history with magic bad and good right like you know he raised the demon people died ethan rain Mm -hmm. keeps popping up every once in a while like Mm, and so (laughs) miss you buddy the way giles treats her when he comes back and then he takes her to england is very much a giles the giles willow relationship right like and she did respect him and she did love giles that relationship makes sense it's the him leaving knowing that she's like delving into really deep things and him never once being like, hi, do you remember that demon guy that came and found me? Like I like magic has cost magic can make you feel powerful. Even, you know, like, even if you think you're doing it for something good, like, I just Mm -hmm. wish at some point someone would have said to Willow, like, I get that you think that this is helping people, but you're, but maybe it's not like, maybe you're just trying to refuse to accept like what is. It's complicated, too, because Giles, right, has a lived experience of using magic in a way that not only harmed but killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the history, and and obviously his relationship to it is healthy. We see his, his relationship to magic as one that is healthy throughout pretty much the whole show. Mm-hmm. But he also is traumatized in, in other ways. And so, you know, I think that if Giles was just this person who had had this relationship with magic and was just talking to Willow about that. We might see something different, but I, not to like at all make an excuse for what Giles decides to do, but I do think that for Giles, there's this massive amount of trauma as well. And that it it might be even more upsetting to him that he can't he can't figure out the way to get through to Willow um, because he truly more than anyone knows what the dangers are of this and how serious it is. And so if you know that on the level that Giles knows it and you can't figure out a way to get through to this person who doesn't yet know it, I have to imagine that that is terrifying. Absolutely. And I think like the thing is, is like he does know what to do with her when when it gets really bad, right? Like he knows how to bring her back. He has a plan. He understands that like she's she's forgetting, you know, like he understands that her 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 rage is like this is coming from the loss of Tara, right? Like he knows instinctively like something really bad happened to Willow. Otherwise, she wouldn't have done this. Like, she, And so like he seems to understand that. And I, you know, and then he gives her the, like, when she's on the recovery side, right, he, he ta- you know, like, which we could talk about, like, she gets the, like, good treatment, right? She doesn't go to jail. She doesn't get punished. Mm-hmm. She gets to go to a coven yeah, and yeah. learn how to use magic appropriately. And, and like, it's even though, like, they're still, like, worried about her, you know, and scared of her a little bit because, like, it's with, and Giles is there for her and he's supportive without, like, absolving her of, like, what she did and, I just like wish like Giles would have left because it was like, I'm a little worried about Willow. I'm going back to England. We need to figure this out. Right. And like, just give him another reason to go. And like, I think it makes more sense. Like, and right. then he's back and he's ready to help Willow. I was too late. Here's all the good magic. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> I was on a quest <laughs> to gather all of the tools you needed. I was, yes. I was helping. 
sorry. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting when you think about, I don't know, like my lived experience is that if there is trauma that is in no way related to me or that I'm not also experiencing, I have so many tools and the ability to engage with it. Like the loss of Tara, not that Giles isn't impacted by the loss of Tara. Of course he is. But mm-hmm. but that not like the loss of Buffy. The loss of Buffy no. for Willow and Giles, I think, has has equal resonance and bringing her back has equal resonance. And so I do wonder, too, if like his proximity to it makes him completely incapable of helping her through the trauma because it's yeah. it's also his, you know, whereas Tara's is not as much. Yeah. And I think like we said before, like everyone's just traumatized. Like they've been fighting demons for six years. People are dying. Like there's loss. There's and so like it makes sense that it all kind of comes to a head. It's just has been, you know, it's frustrating for us to watch when we're like, just sit down and talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A little easier, I guess, for us. (laughs) Or just like leave everybody alone in a room with Anya and Spike for like 20 minutes. Just give them like 20 minutes of of those two. Call Cordelia back. Throw her in the mix too, you know? Right? Yes. We'll get Spike's emotional intelligence (laughs) and then we'll get Anya's like clear, logical, rational, like response to things and like move forward. Let's move forward. Um, Natalie, you touched on it. And that's the place that I know we want to go. The fact that Willow and I'm going to I'm going to read Alba's words here because uh, (laughs) Alba has been a huge part of the production of this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, you know, Alba said. She Willow has been held accountable by her community in this not yet it not not yet by wrecked but we're talking the whole season right she she is held accountable um but she never has to and this is what you were mentioning deal with the consequences of her addiction in the quote real world she's able to return to school in season 7 without having to jump through any hoops she never has to deal with finding work or having to worry about housing food basic necessities and that's what you're talking about too of like she's she's flown to England and she's immersed in this healthy coven relationship to magic and like how viewing willow as somebody with privilege who is misusing magic is i think really important so i will let you speak a bit on that yeah i mean like the reality is like we know like people get different treatment we know that um basically white people use drugs as much as any other any other um, identity yet they're arrested less often they're they have access to treatment more often and so there is mm-hmm. this piece right there isn't this like implied um criminality Im- immediate implied criminality when you talk about about substance use and we see how society reacts differently when we're talking about substance use that's coded as something that happens like right like in the inner cities versus like you know in a rural area mm-hmm. so we talk about you know, the crack cocaine usage, you know, in the 80s versus the way we responded to the, you know, the opioid um, epidemic. And like, even if you just like, if you Google like crack epidemic versus opioid epidemic, like that pictures that pop up are like Mm. startling, like, you know, Mm. criminalization of black bodies in one versus people who are treated with sympathy and like Mm -hmm. how we, how we do that. Mm. And I think like there is so much privilege in, in, willow's story because really she is she does something with her with especially with the way they project her like you know like the addiction storyline you know air quotes like the like she has no contact with law enforcement um or anything like that and so this idea that like she's able to kind of like go through this journey without outside societal forces like the criminal justice system 
or or something like that pushing in on her like shows that like it's a rough journey in and of itself let alone when you have other people jumping in to create even more obstacles and to tell you you have to be sober and you have to go to jail and you know and like yeah it's just it's completely different um, well, yeah. And I, I, you mentioned this, it, we, you know, we talked a little bit about this already. Um, so I don't know that there's a ton more to go into, but I do think for somebody like myself who I, I don't know a ton about what it is to be on parole and what the system tells people who are on parole for possession of drugs or, you know, X, Y, Z. But it sounds based on what you've been saying that there is, there is absolute, and this is not surprising in a governmental system, especially no, right. if it parallels any other governmental system in this country, uh, that there's no nuance that it is. This is the rule. It's probably from 1962 that the rule was written down and this is what we do but i would love to hear a little more on that it's all bullshit right like (laughs) people period right no it's bullshit so like you get this dynamic and i remember i would get so frustrated especially when i first started working in the field because i would be like we they're expecting people the people to do things that i can't do and i'm not struggling with like dependency to heroin or like you know like i mean we we tell people it's like you know we arrest them and then we say like okay we're gonna let you out but you have to have a job and you have to go to treatment and you can't use it all and you have to have a place to live and you have to do all of this community service and you have to meet your probation officer and if you fuck up any way shape or form you're going back to jail and then you're going to get a violation on your record which means that you're not going to be able to get out again later right like and it's just like i'm looking at this and i'm like Okay, intensive outpatient programs are 12 hours a week and they they operate during normal business hours, right? So Mm -hmm. like your nine hours or 12 hours a week, you can't work. Right. Plus you have to do community service. Plus like, you know, you have to find a safe place to live. They're not going to help you find a safe place to live, but you have to find one. And then, you know, the way the criminal justice system like embeds itself in treatment facilities is like really, really toxic because it's hard because you want to help them, but you also are never 100%. It's really hard to help them when you also have someone else that they're like, they have to answer to. So like they, they get told to go to treatment and then they are also told, well, you have to sign a release because they're going to be drug testing you and they need to let us know if you fail a drug test, right? Because this is court ordered treatment, which means it's not really your treatment. Like we're going to be looking in on it at all fucking times, you know, or we create this like transitional housing for people because they need it. They need a a safe place. Maybe they need a sober house. Maybe they don't have anywhere to go, but a lot of them are on probation, which means that the probation officer is going to demand that if they live in transitional housing, they want you to do drug screens and there needs to be like requirements that they go. By the way, they have to go to NA meetings. doesn't matter if these NA meetings are filled with a whole bunch of people who are actively still fucking using, right? Right. Like it it Mm. makes no sense. It's obstacles for obstacles sake. And it could be really, it's really frustrating. And as long as drugs are criminalized, you're not going to be able to pull treatment away from the criminal justice system the way it really should be for any other system. That's my rant. No, it's (laughs) good, but it's so important because it's, and it's also that like tying it back to what we're saying about Willow, Willow Mm -hmm. doesn't set a foot in that system. That is so much because of her privilege and that if if people with privilege were, I mean, that wouldn't happen, right? Because the system exists specifically because it is people without privilege that are in the system. But if 
people with privilege were in that system, the system would not be the way that it is at all. And and so anyway, it was your rant. I didn't mean to rant over it, but I'm angry too. But it's, and it's fucking layered, right? Like you arrest the rich college kid driving home from like the Robert Taylor homes in Chicago. And you're like, where did you get the drugs? Like, we'll give you probation if you tell us where you got the drugs. So we can go in there and we can go put somebody else, somebody who's probably black away for like 20 years Mm -hmm. and you get to be on probation and and we'll, you know, like, and so it create there's like privilege within the system of even being arrested, right? Like who gets released on probation, who gets dealing charges versus who doesn't like, you know, who's Mm -hmm. viewed as the victim, like, dealers being charged for overdoses Mm -hmm. for you know like homicide charges like the odds are most people are buying their drugs from someone else who they know who uses you know like it, it just really creates just it's just toxic it's toxic all the way down something I'm really interested in is that like Buffy seems to be working overtime to equate what she is up to with Spike or what she doesn't want to be up to with Spike or what she really wants to be up to with Spike, but like doesn't want to want it uh, with what's going on with, with Willow, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm curious uh, how that, how that strikes you within the context of the show. So, I mean, it's messy, but it's like, I don't, Buffy's in pain and she's doing something that she knows isn't necessarily good, but she knows makes her feel better in the moment even if it makes her feel bad mm-hmm. later on, or even if it creates more problems for herself. Like, and I mean, I think Buffy's got a lot of like, she's stigmatizing her own behavior, right? Like I'm dirty. I'm having sex with this like evil vampire. What's wrong? Right. Like, so, so Buffy's stigmatizing herself. She's not offering Willow that, that space and that graciousness to say like, Hey, like people are worried about your magic. I think something else is going on. I think you're struggling because I'm struggling and I know I'm doing things that feel like that aren't healthy for me too. But instead, she's just like projecting, like she's not using it to connect to Willow. And she tries, like she sits on the bed and they, she starts to have that conversation, right? And then, and then Amy walks out of the bathroom and that's, that's all blown to hell. But then you see how fast, like all of a sudden, like that projection, like it turns to like anger um, when she really is faced with like what's going on with Willow and how, she, how it makes her feel. And she gets very stigmatizing with Willow. Um mm-hmm. But I also think that's how she's probably talking to herself too, mm-hmm. <laughs> internally. Oh yeah. Um, which I think is just, you know, we, we, we're taught shame and stigma. We're taught, you know, we're taught that like tough love and, and things like that are, are things that we all need to go through. We're taught that we need a rock bottom. And, and so I think it makes sense when people talk to other people the way they also maybe talk to themselves. So, so I think, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's so much to talk about here. I mean, we've done a lot. We've talked yes. about a lot. Uh, <laughs> like we've been all over the place. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but that's but that's how the. I mean, that's really how this arc is delivered to us. I think you know it is. It is truly kind of all over the place. It is. Yeah. No, I was just saying it is. It's really, and it's one of those things because I feel like there are these moments where I'm like, that's so good. That's so good. That's so good. And then there are moments where I'm like, oh, just dial it back a little bit, guys. Like, we get it. We get (laughs) it. It's like we can't tell an addiction story if we don't hit all of these paths. But it's like everyone's story looks different. And, like, what if we just, like, didn't feel like we had to focus on all these behaviors or all these, like, 
milestone moments to say, right. this is what addiction is. Instead, just said like, this is what happens when things are hard and we try to cope with them in ways that don't help us. Help us. Right. And I think that's, you know, and, and, and I think like taking the autonomy away from Willow sometimes was what really would, would bother me. Like she's, she wanted to kill Warren. Mm. So did Dawn, mm -hmm. you know, like, so she made a choice and that choice compounded on itself and, and compounded on itself. And then she, at this point, she was kind of, you got the vibe that she was like, well, I'm just going to have to be this person now. I'm mad. And like, you see these moments when like she gets at the pain and she falters and, yeah. you know, um, like when she's about to, you know, the bullets going through Warren and she's talking about Tara and you could tell like she's talking to herself about Tara and what happened. And, and you could see her, go back to the start to almost like she starts to be like you know a little bit more like willow and then she like steals herself and it's like because she so doesn't want to deal with that kind of pain it's right. just she's been avoiding mm -hmm. it for so long and it's just so hard the oh. autonomy is is just a really good point in general to bring up i think that so often we're told that when we are moving through trauma we are not ourselves um, mm -hmm. like I hear that said all the time, like, I'm not me. I don't, I'm not me. And it's like, well, you, this is still you. Like you're not, not you. You are just mm -hmm. you moving through trauma. And, and like that, that is echoed in what you're saying. Like Willow wanted to kill Warren. Warren is a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm not crying. <laughs> I'm not him at saying all. that pieces uh, of shit deserve to be killed by any means, no. but like the desire, um, th the desire to do something horrible to this person who has done the worst thing in the world to Willow and to Tara, but also mm -hmm. has done horrible things to countless women specifically yeah since we like, met him is like not a desire that is complicated to understand <laughs> no i mean right like i mean even at the end like don and xander both were kind of like you know like and and, and buffy asked him about like killing people or thinking you kill like it's the, the killing of another human being is what i'm trying to save willow from i'm not trying to save warren like fuck warren right like, right. right like right. No yeah. one, yeah, like no one's going to cry for Warren per se, but like we're trying to save Willow from doing something that we, since we know Willow, we know she's going to regret, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's, it's, it's just all sad. Yeah, it's complicated too. Yeah, super. Natalie, although we could talk forever, mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you probably any... have stuff to do. Yeah, like one or two things to do. Yes. I know that your dogs are like really, really, really excited for you to stop talking to us and to start talking to them. Yes. <laughs> um, but is there anything that you wanted to hit in this episode specifically in our conversation that we didn't bring up? I think there's this moment where Buffy really gets it, like where they say something like, like there should be limits. There should be limits to what we can do or what, but Willow doesn't believe that. And I was like, there it is. That's it. That's it. Willow believes that if you can like, why would you live like this? If you don't have to, like, why would you live in this pain? Why would you live in this rejection? Why would you live in this insecurity mm -hmm. if you don't have to? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's really this, this important piece. And I feel like it's there in, in threads. And I think it's, underlying I think it just sometimes gets lost in the like really direct relational like I'm so juiced or whatever kind of thing that they say that like Willow really just why do I have this power if I can't make things better 
but also like mm-hmm. what Willow thinks better is, is not feeling pain and not having bad things happen. And, right. and that's not unnormal. Like a lot of us would do, I mean, like, that's why there's like things about like the three wishes and the monkeys, you know, like we yeah. always think, be careful what you wish for. And I think the whole point of the, the season six, right. Is like, and they're telling, but they tell Buffy that too. Like, it's like living is hard and the, but the easy way isn't, it doesn't get you where you want to go, like the way you think it does. The, the 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 way you think is the easy way is never the easy way. It looks it looks like a bejeweled path, yeah. Until you get to the bend and in, in the path, and you're like, where the fuck did the bejewels go? You know. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's like it, you're still at living, like it, you know, and and so I think that's the piece, and like that's what happens like bad things happen to us we lose people or we have our life takes a turn that we didn't expect and we have to find out Mm -hmm. how to adjust who we are in light of that new information and I think for Willow you know she was going on kind of this run right like she went to college she was smart and then she you know she was a Wicca and then she you know she met Tara and like oh, okay, this is it. Like, I, you know, like I'm a lesbian and this is great and I love it and I am me and I am fully me and I am ready for this. And and then like life intrudes on her again, right? With Buffy mm. dying and like, but now she has power. Mm-hmm. And what does she do with that? Like, you know, she's not just like upset trying to cast little spells. You know, she's like legit has power. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's a true, I think that that's something that the show does correctly at least in my experience is I don't feel that anyone set me up and uh, nor any of the people I talk with uh with the ability to understand that life would just keep coming at you you know like that was not the way and I don't know if that conversation is changing um for people who are young now maybe their parents are having different conversations with them maybe the media is telling some stories that are a little bit different but like certainly Mm -mm. It was only when life kept coming back around to punch me in the face that I was like, oh, this is just it. Okay, 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 okay. It's like it's real good and it's real bad. And both of those things are true. It's it's not it's never going to be just like sparkles and bubble gum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I guess when you're literally fighting demons, why wouldn't you fight the metaphorical ones too? (laughs) Why, Why can't I do that? Yeah. I just make it go poof. Yeah, we literally that's true. That's true. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally what we do. They like break the fourth wall. They're like, the writers let us kill all the other demons. <laughs> Why can't we kill our inner turmoil demons yeah, too? Fuck? Not there. How dare you? Natalie, I have a feeling that Uh, our listeners will have a lot of feedback and questions and and what have you. So I wouldn't be surprised to Mm -hmm. have another conversation with you in the future or to bring you into the folds in some other ways, but just can't thank you enough for for being here to help us unpack all that is willow and magic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the one last thing I would like, thank you so much for, for having me on. And like, I, you know, I don't speak for everyone in the recovery community or everyone in the treatment community or the harm reduction. Like I am one person doing one thing in this like broad tapestry. And so if I miss, I, if you feel like I miss like represented your experience, like that wasn't my intention. And 
I know it's nuanced. Or if I said something in a way that was a little inartful, like obviously I didn't mean to, and I apologize if I've caused any uh, harm um, in that way. And I just feel like uh, it's it's hard because there's there's so much built into talking about substance use and it's really hard to do it. And mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to struggle with it. And so I, I hope that I did the best I could and that people find value in the conversation. Yeah. And I, I think that, well, first of all, thank you for like being willing to have the conversation for that reason, specifically too, um, that it is, it's not one, it's not one conversation. And that's like where we try to start as well. Like you can't, it's not like we decided like, we're going to do this episode and then that's the end of it. Um, But also, you know, Natalie, I think you approach conversations like this, like Jenny and I try to approach conversations like this, which is let us know, you know, like I think, you know, Jenny and I are super like when we talk when we talk about Buffy and Buffy's mental health, when we do that conversation, that's going to be a very different conversation for me to have. I'm going to have a lot more to contribute about my personal experience and what have you. Uh, but I can still learn there. There's no question that I have a ton to learn here. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anyone in this conversation thinks that they know everything there is to know. So please, you know, if you don't know our email already, it's bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com and send us your emails, send us your feedback, positive, negative, thoughtful, questions, whatever, you know, and, and we will take that in and process it and, and continue having the conversation. There's never an end. (laughs) No, like, and like you said, like, you know, who knows, like, if we're going to come back and like, hear the way we're talking now, be like, and like, honestly, like, I hope so, because that means we've probably moved even further. Like, I would love for this conversation to feel dated in Mm -hmm. some ways too. Like, I would love that there to be like a whole revamped way of looking at this. That makes even like my, my rant about like, the criminal justice system come back and be like, oh, she was thinking so small then. Like, please, right, please. Right, totally. Like, let me, you know, I, I hope I'm thinking too small. But that's the, you know, like, I think thinking out loud uh, is the way that you get to bigger places. It's mm-hmm. Like, if we're not, if we're not having the conversation at all, then we're just going to be where we are. We're never going to yeah. take a step forward from there. So hopefully this was like informative for, um, much of our listenership um, and uh, maybe sort of inspires mm-hmm. more. I know that like this is a really a first step for for myself yeah. um, in, in like learning how to have these conversations and understanding mm-hmm. them a bit better. So um, yeah. I think that's important. And, and also, you know, I'm hoping that some people feel seen and, and like cared for yeah. in this space. Yeah. And I think it's just like the show's maturing, though. I think it's that's why these these conversations are happening like it's getting the show's getting harder mm-hmm. like there's a reason I rewatched the first like three to four seasons because they're like 90% of the time they're fun like you know and then yeah. like season six and seven it's like it's not as fun <laughs> mm-hmm. but at the same time like it's deeper and it's you know yeah I think it goes without saying that you can find Natalie and the resources that we'll add to this um, episode in the show notes today. Uh, Truly, Natalie, thank you so much for having the conversation with us. Thank you so much. Like I said, anytime. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You guys too. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thanks so much. No problem.
Hi, I'm Essie, one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.